So, uh, word of uh, disclosure, I guess. Um, this is not the, the sermon that I prepared on Tuesday. This is the one that, that barely got finished last night. Um, it, it's, been a, it's been a hard week. It, it's been a hard season for all of us. And uh, you know, it started, started the week seeing the scenes from the Ukraine. I don't have the patience or the energy to discuss the political nature of all this and all the things that are going on. I just saw a picture of a dad saying goodbye to his daughter as he put them on a train to get them to safety so that he could fight for his country. Uh, the pictures that you saw of kids in fear in their basements because of man's inhumanity to man and, and And then Friday morning, um, we got the call about Colleen. Colleen grew up in front of me, in front of my eyes, as she played softball almost every weekend, several summers with Emma, and was on the high school team, and they were pals. Emma called after hearing the news and in tears, just ask, is it true? I had to tell her it was. And I've been doing this a long time. I like to think I'm not an old guy, but I am. Rob, you're not even close. And there have been situations like this countless times over the years. And every time it happens... I realize how how powerless I am to come up with words. And right now I'm tired. And I know that there's some of you that are tired, probably even more so than me, and, and wore out and just... So we're going to look at the Psalms today. Because this is where God led me for me. We're in Psalm 22. I encourage you to read the whole thing yourself. We're not going to have time to go through every verse. But it's a song of David. It's a prayer of David. David starts that psalm by saying this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, 
shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's David, the psalmist. He cries out to God, and it's personal. He says, my God, my God, which means that there have been times when he has walked with God and talked with him and sought him, and God spoke to him. It's personal. It's a relationship, and it's also very, very urgent. And there is this element of surprise in his cry. The psalmist, David, the forsaken one, he seems bewildered. Why would God forsake me? Others deserve that, but I can't figure out why he would forsake me. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that we said the same things at times that David had to be thinking, well, wait a minute, why is God forsaking me? Why did God let this happen? There's so many other people out there in the world that deserve this wrath, this, this harshness, this heartbreak. They deserve it so much more than, than I do. Why did God let this happen to me? Why does God seem so distant? Why do I feel so forsaken? Now, you know the story of King David. King David was a man after God's own heart, but King David also followed his own heart a lot of times. I mean, King David could be at one point humble and seeking and obedient to God, and at the next minute, arrogant and led by his desires that were not of God. So King David was no stranger to these kind of dark times and seasons. There are many times in David's life that he found himself in seemingly impossible circumstances. Like when he took five smooth stones and went against a giant. So I'm wondering why now, I can't help but wonder if this is how he's feeling. Wondering why God didn't rescue him immediately like he did before. Or why God would allow something like this. Or why God would seem so distant and far apart. Seemingly deaf to our cries. But David knew what it was like to feel the, the presence and the deliverance of God. And, and we have had that. We've had moments in our lives. That's why you're here. It led you to be in, in fellowship with somebody and with others and, and to celebrate what God has done. You have had moments in your life where you have looked around and you're like, this has to be of God. This is good. This is good. This is the way it should be. And you felt his presence or you felt his love or you've seen his miracle. And in that regard, we're just like David. And just like David, every memory of help that we receive from God, every memory of blessing that we see, receive from God, like David, every memory of all those times that God was there makes his absence here that much more devastating. And worse yet, there seemed to be no explanation for the lack of God's help or the lack of his presence. So David asked the question, why? I've asked the question of God, why? 
But even in the midst, the beauty of this, this, this psalm, this prayer, even in the midst of, of these first couple of verses where David shares his heartbrokenness over feeling like he's detached from the God who can save, David remembers God's greatness even in his suffering. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. He didn't curse or blaspheme God. And he knew that even though he was in a circumstance, a season, a time that was dark and he was heartbroken and seeking God that didn't seem to be there, he knew that his present anger, his present anger, his present agony did not change God's holiness or God's greatness. He knew it didn't change that. But even knowing it didn't change that, he still asked, where are you? Where are you? David also remembered how God had answered and delivered many times before. I mean, you can hear David's agony and when he says it, it, it sounds like he's sitting there. I can hear David going like, look, they cried to you. My ancestors cried to you. My grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, all the way down the line, they cried to you and you delivered them. I cry to you and I'm ignored. And this conflict, this present time of seeming like God was absent not only made David feel like he was being ignored, made him feel like he was insignificant. God seems to help everybody else, but it seems he gives no helps to worms like me. And the low standing he had in his own eyes made his eyes open and more vulnerable to the eyes of others that had him in low standing. And that simply added to his agony. I mean, he had people that come up like, well, you're, one, you're God's favorite person. You're, you're the one that God loves. Let him save him. I won't raise my hand to help you because you are the one that's always talking about how great your God is. Let your God save him. And so he's sitting there thinking, Man, I'm, just a worm. I'm not even worth being helped. The worm, the lowliest of, I mean, is there, is there too many other animals in creation that are lowlier than a worm? This is how David's feeling. It's like, you not only ignore me, this is how insignificant I am. And everybody else is just like poking fun at my expense. In the verses 9 through 22, David goes on to talk about how he is treated by others, how how he is afflicted, how the pain that he carries and the hurt. He describes this pain in the current season. And he cries out for a rescue that is yet to be seen or felt. For time's sake, I'll let you read those verses on your own, and I encourage you to do so. But what I want you to see is that when we get past to verse 23, something shifts in David. He is still alone. He is still feeling like God is absent but he doesn't allow that to keep him from praising God. In the midst of him feeling like he is not worthy to be saved, like he's a worm, he gives God's praise. In verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. and In the assembly, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Verses 30 and 31 close it out where he says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And here's why I love reading the Psalms. Because the Psalms show us crazy. The Psalms show us in those moments where like, God, where are you at? Or why, why did you leave us here? Why did you allow this to happen? Or why are we in the mess that we're in? The Psalms show us that, that we are not alone in feeling that. That there is commonality that we have with the writers of the Psalms, David himself. We know what it's like, like they did. We know what it's like to experience the absence of God. But what that needs to do to us is make us realize that it's not always going to be roses and cupcakes and rainbows and easy. Belief in God does not exempt us from feeling abandoned by him. Case in point, David. I got another big case to bring to that point here in a minute. Belief in God does not exempt us from feeling abandoned by him. Praising God does not vaccinate us from doubts about him. And meditating and studying God's word doesn't insulate us from feelings of darkness and emotional and spiritual drought or desertion or desolation. In fact, Jesus on the cross, as he hung there, ready to give up this physical life, as he hung on that cross, Jesus uttered the same prayer that we just read to you. Jesus uttered the prayer of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my message of hope for you today is if you're in that season or you've been in that dark season or you feel like God is absent or you're wondering where he's at or what he's doing, are you still moving? Are you still here? My hope that I want to give you is the fact that on the cross, Jesus felt the same way that you do. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And him, the word that was made flesh and lived among us until that flesh was hoisted up for a painful, horrible death at which he took our sins upon himself to pay the price. And from those lips, as he was gasping for air, his prayer was the same as ours. Where are you? Why? I want to tell you the beauty and the hope that comes from that is the fact that your Savior knows exactly what it feels like 
to feel like you're all by yourself and you're abandoned and you're hurt and it doesn't make sense. This prayer that Jesus says, that Jesus echoes from the heart of David centuries before, validates the experience of the absence of God. And in doing that, in him saying those words, it not only validates our experience that we feel sometimes that God is absent, it then becomes part of our story and our experience, and we can say there's hope because we're not crazy. Sometimes it hurts. and Sometimes it just feels like God's not there. But the beauty of all this is, is that it lets me know, and I hope it lets you know, that God knows our heartbreak. God knows our worry. God knows our pain. God knows our feeling like God is absent from our anguish. We are not alone. We are not alone. Because even though there are wars and rumors of war, even though tragedy strikes and tears are shed and hearts are broken on the cross, our Savior cried out with the same cry as David. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he ended the last words that he said on this earth before he went to glory, he echoes the same words that David said at the end of his prayer. It is dark, it is rough, it hurts. I'm scared, but I'm gonna give you praise. And generations upon generations and children yet unborn, that's us, will sing your praises and know your grace and know your praise. And David said, it is finished, it is done. And Jesus said, it is finished. I know how you feel. But I'm not going to let you stay there. And so he said, it is finished. And a lot of times we can read this as his head bows, as his heart beats for the last time, as his breath is taken away from his lungs. We can read that it is finished as a declaration that that he is giving up and that he is done and he has no more fight in him. And when we read it that way, we read it wrong. Because the utterance of it is finished is not uttered in defeat. But like David's prayer, it is a prayer of a promise that is fulfilled. Because we know our Redeemer lives. And we know that even though until we live with him in what he creates new, there will be wars and rumors of wars. But we know that one day swords will be turned into plowshares. Because we know that death has lost its sting and victory. And because we know that Jesus has not only prepared a way for us, he has prepared a place for us. Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced 
that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor this future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And that promise is complete. It is still finished, even in our hardest and darkest of times. In Revelation 21, verse 4, this beautiful promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is finished. Sometimes our hearts break. Because when we cannot feel God's hand, we are forced to trust his heart. And it could easily be have someone who could take what I've said this morning and go, and your faith just isn't as strong as I thought it was. John, your, your, your faith is weak. And I would look at you and go, you're absolutely right. But that faith that I have, even when it's fragile, I've come to realize if that faith is all I have, that faith is all I have when I cry out to God and I don't hear the answer right away or I feel like I'm by myself or my heart breaks or I have to answer the phone. If that faith is all I have, that it is finished and my Redeemer lives, if that faith is all I have, no matter how weak or small it is, then that faith is all I need. Sorry. I'm tired. You're not alone. His promises are true. In pandemics and shutdowns, in politics and elections, in wars and global conflict. And in the day-to-day living of a life in a world that's not perfect. It can feel like you are alone. But he is doing a new thing. And his promise for you and all that he has is already finished. He loves you.
relentlessly. He will pursue you ferociously. Lord, be with us. Lord, have mercy. Let's pray.